go. Okay, I think we uh, are ready for verse 5 of chapter 1, and we will try to uh, move a little quicker today. Uh, I thought I'd read verses 5 through 14, and then we'll, uh, we'll take a look at what that says. It says, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Okay, so we start off in verse 5 says he predestined us to adoption as sons. The word predestined, you know, has the idea of, you know, marking or setting out boundaries or setting limits beforehand. And God did that. He foreordained that all those who voluntarily choose to walk by faith in Christ would be added to his family by adoption. And the idea of adoption is, you know, placing a son or a daughter in a home as a natural child, even though they're not really a descendant. And so, that's what God did. He chose that those who walk by faith except Christ, they become his children. And he adopted us. And that's a that's a wonderful concept that we can be his children. So one of the spiritual blessings that you know Ephesians one talks about. And then it says how were adopted. It says by Jesus Christ to himself. A relationship with God is only possible through the sacrifice of Christ. That sacrifice that was made for us. And only by responding through faith can we become sons of God. Our redemption by Christ into adoption is detailed further in the book of Galatians. So turn to Galatians chapter 3. And I want to read, starting in verse 26, 
And actually going through Galatians 4 and verse 7. Uh, oftentimes the scriptures are their own best commentary. So uh, can I get a volunteer to read Galatians 3.26 through 4.7? Yeah, Mark. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we... When we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God, through Christ. So we're no longer a slave, no longer a slave to sin, but become an heir, adopted sons and daughters. And that happens at the beginning of this reading through faith in Christ Jesus that causes us to be baptized into Christ, baptized into that relationship. So, and also this adoption only happens uh, by being baptized and is meaningful as long as we're led by the Spirit, which we do that when we read, study, and follow what the Spirit has revealed in God's Word. This also, uh, you know, going back uh, to Ephesians 1, the end of verse 5, says, according to the kind intention of his will. This was God's will. His ultimate goal was to bring sinful man back into fellowship with him. You know, God's decree to add believers to his family through Christ was his own decision and grew out of his love. Uh, This kind intention or good pleasure, as other translations say, it carries the idea of will and purpose that God wanted to do this. It seemed good to the one offering this grace, God, He intentionally purposed to adopt us as his children. He desired to do that, much like a man and a woman might desire to adopt a child into their family. And those who want to do that, that that can consume them. You know, they want a child, maybe they can't 
get one uh, not able to conceive and so they adopt and they long to do that God long to do that for us in other good in other words God wants us that's wonderful that's amazing that the one who brought this world into existence wants us to be his children yeah but that's even even maybe a step further is the God who created this world did so to achieve his inheritance. Mm-hmm. Psalm Psalm 33 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that will become clearer as we continue on through, uh, through this chapter. But yes, you know, very good point. Uh, and, and the next verse uh, says, To the praise of the glory of His grace. So, this adoption produces praise. We should praise Him uh, out of appreciation for what He has done for us. And Just the fact that he provided for us, provided that means to be adopted into his family, that in itself is to God's praise and glory that he would do that. We praise God not only because of the greatness of his gifts, but also the graciousness of the giver. He offers this these gifts to us out of His grace. And it's even more amazing when we consider the fact that we're so unworthy. You know, it's not that we're so wonderful that we deserve that. No, He did this because he wanted to and because he wanted us because he is so loving and gracious Uh, and also uh, in verse 6 says which he freely bestowed on us Uh, the idea of that word you know literally is he graced us uh, he gave us that grace. He graced us uh, in the Beloved, you know, through His Son, Christ. And God announced both at the baptism of Jesus and at His at the Transfiguration uh, that we read about in the Gospels. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. So, the redemption of man is a beautiful expression of both God's purpose and his nature when we look at that through his adoption. I ran across this uh, 
in a commentary. I want to read this to you. Uh, I thought it expressed it pretty well. It says, Imagine yourself an orphan child, cold and hungry, walking the streets in search of food and shelter. A dedicated Christian, loving and kind, takes notice of your plight. This Christian is wealthy and successful, but he and his wife have no children. He stops beside you and stoops to look at you, look you in the eye. As he smiles through tears of compassion, he says, Please come home with me and let me adopt you into my family. That, of course, means that you will be cared for, loved, protected, and nurtured in spiritual and physical things. It means that you will inherit his estate as if you had been naturally born to him. Will you turn and walk away? Can you imagine the lonely, hungry, fatherless child rejecting such an offer? Yet so many turn away from God. He is offering much more than any man could offer. How foolish are we when we reject the Lord? But so many have. And so many do. And Mary? I was reading an Filipino woman that was <clears throat> pretending to be a man and writing this article and this this non plume had been used for years, like decades and um, so people kept taking writing under that name and finally she said, look, this is me um, and she was accepted as herself mm. and she said, the quote is belonging, connecting, that I have learned is true privilege and for us to be part of this family mm-hmm. because of what Christ has done for us is true privilege. Yep. Brett. Um, the, the idea of um, to the praise of his glory or his, mm-hmm. his glorious grace um, just rem- reminds me of the theme throughout the Bible that God cares about his reputation and his what the world thinks of him he wanted Israel to be a light um, and so he was their shepherd and in Psalm 23 the, the, the shepherd song or song um, he says um, he guides me along the right paths he leads me in righteousness for his name's sake like it's God's reputation matters to him. Mm-hmm. And um, here, it seems as though um, the reason that he called us, adopted us, and gave us all these blessings is because he wanted the world to see how gracious he was mm-hmm. and how kind he was. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely right. Yeah. In, in that phrase, to the praise of his glory, or to the praise of his glory, of his grace occurs three times in this passage in verse 6, 12, and 14 mm-hmm. and it's tied to the ideas of adoption inheritance and redemption yep. So. yep yep good point Mark. these seem like gifts from God and I'm reminded of Acts 2.38 and you shall receive the gift of mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit Do mm-hmm. you see a connection there mm-hmm. okay. yep yep okay Uh, verse 7 in him we have redemption through his blood what is redemption anybody 
probably got a good definition. Buying back. Okay, buying back. Uh, it's a. It's like a payment to release from bondage. Uh, and so, you know, oftentimes, you know, that was used like a slave, the price paid to for them to be free. And that's the idea with us, that the price that was paid for us to be free from our sins. And Acts 20.28 points out that that price was the blood of Jesus. So, a great price that was paid. And this passage, you know, points that out. You know, we are held by the power of sin. And we're we're powerless to deal with that ourselves. We can't pay the price to redeem ourselves. You know, John eight thirty four. whoever commits sin is the servant of sin. Romans six twenty three says the wages of sin is death. So, only through divine intervention can we be can we be released from that bondage of sin and that divine intervention came in Christ and the giving of his blood to pay the price that was necessary because the justice of God demanded the perfect sacrifice and only Jesus could be that sacrifice none of us none of us can pay that sacrifice because we're all sinners but Christ was not so that's the idea there in this passage about the redemption his blood the forgiveness of sins uh, and uh the New American Standard Version uh, uses the word trespasses uh, as opposed to sins there in verse 7. And the idea of a trespass is stepping into ground where you don't belong or where you're not safe. And, you know, there are you know, our electric companies, they've got, you know, high voltage wires and (coughs) other areas that are fenced in and there are strict laws about not trespassing in that and that's for our safety because we get in there we could get in big trouble a lot of cities if you have a swimming pool they require an outdoor pool you're required to cover that or fence that in in such a way that uh, people can't, especially young children, can't get in there and endanger themselves. So when we trespass spiritually, we wander from the truth into dangerous ground where we don't belong. But God paid the, the price because of his deep an abiding love for us. He didn't owe us that. 
but he freely gave us that gift and that grace when really we deserved to die. So, meditating on those things can be really wonderful and help us to have an appreciation for what all God has done for us. And when we have that appreciation, it really helps us to live the way he wants us to live. Yeah. And it helps to not be like the Israelites who were right. unthankful and wandered in the wilderness 40 years because of their unbelief. Mm-hmm. Yes. And says he lavished that upon us uh, and says in all wisdom and insight or wisdom and prudence uh, wisdom, you know, those who were in the Proverbs study last quarter talked a lot about wisdom. You know, it's understanding, it's knowledge or learning properly used. And this prudence would be intelligent or right-mindedness, the intelligent use of knowledge. And God has both. He has the answers. He knows how to use them. He revealed them in his gospel. And in doing so, revealed his own wisdom and prudence to us. And he made known to us the mystery of his will. A mystery is a secret or a hidden truth. And it's not known till it's revealed. God's will was initially a mystery. And it's something that we couldn't discover on our own. We could discover God. We could see that through his creation. But we couldn't discover his will until he revealed that to us. But he's done that. And now we can understand that. Uh, Take baptism, for example. It may be a mystery to uh, someone, a stranger, who might enter our assembly and for the first time see a man immersed in water. It might be a mystery. Why are you doing that? That seems so strange. He doesn't understand what it means. But to those who are familiar with the New Testament, it's really not a mystery at all. We can understand that in light of God's revelation. Yeah, sir. When I look, what kind of struck me as I look through this kind of this whole part of the first passage of Ephesians is some of the words jump out at me to the whole made known mm-hmm. and to the praise of his glory. Mm-hmm. It's like God is standing there saying, look at this in great big words. Right. And some of the things he's saying, look at this in the same passage that jump out at me. It's like his love, his grace, he's freely given, he's um, got understanding. It's his good pleasure, it says. Mm-hmm. He wants Mm-hmm. to do all this for us. Yes. And some that's an amazing thought that I think sometimes gets lost to mm-hmm. us. Um, and he's up there, up there, wherever, <laughs> everywhere, <laughs> everywhere, right. saying, look at this. This is the whole purpose right here. Yes. Yep. Go, going along with that, yeah. I was seeing some of the same things. Uh, his will, you just, I think, mentioned that. His will, his purpose... Uh, his will is repeated again. 
Uh, but it, it does seem to be he's he's trying to make clear that this is his intent, mm-hmm. uh, the reason behind all of these things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good thoughts. Yeah, Craig. This is so contrary to the kind of interactions that these people would have had with deities. In in the city of Ephesus, you've got dozens and dozens of different <coughs> gods and goddesses. They are typically not known for their generosity. No. Normally, these are deities that are constantly angry and need to be appeased, um, or they're emperors that have been deified that are not known for their generosity. And yet, this is a god that is lavishing upon his people stuff that they don't deserve. So this would have been very uh, foreign and very refreshing. Right. Yeah. And I I hate to say it, but it's been kind of foreign to some people who have been introduced to our God, too. (laughs) Yes. Sir. And going back with the idea of lavishing, at least three times in this little passage, it talks about that abundance that God has given us. Mm-hmm. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He has freely bestowed on us in the beloved, um, and he's lavished on us according to his grace, the riches of his grace, um, and that abundance in God and in his grace just keeps mm-hmm. being repeated. Yep. Yep. Okay. Good thoughts. Uh in verse 10, we find the idea uh, about the fullness of times. Uh, and it seems the time was right for Christ to come. Why do you think that was the right time for Christ to come? You ever noodled on that? Emory? Daniel said so. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It was like the world was connected in ways that it hadn't always been. Right. I mean, there's no question it was the right time because God chose it. So I'm not questioning that at all. But what is it that did make that the right time or the time that God chose? And I think you hit on it when you talked about the connections uh, in the world at that time. There was basically one world government. The Roman Empire controlled most of the known world. There was one language. Greek was the universal language. And so throughout the world, most people spoke Greek. And if you've done any international traveling, communication can be difficult if you don't speak the same language. And, you know, I've done some of that, and what I've found is, if you only know one language, English is the one to know. Because you do run across people in most parts of the world that at least speak enough English that we can communicate. Uh... There was a good system of roads. 
you know, traveling was easier because of the roads and being under one government. So it made it easier to spread the gospel. And then certainly the right being was sent, Jesus. So all those things, I think, made the time right. So any other thoughts? Yeah, right. I think the Old Testament also paints the, the nation of Israel kind of like a, a child that is growing up over the, the centuries and learning more about God and about what he, he requires and being reminded again and again that we can't keep that covenant uh, by ourselves. We need something else. Right. Um, I mean, they had that need, you know, back in Abraham's day, but that wasn't as apparent as it was after Malachi. That's you know, this... We need a redeemer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well. I was I was thinking of all the prophets that pointed toward this time also, mm-hmm. and, and then very very obviously John the Baptist. You know. Yes. Yes. Right. And through that child that Brian was talking about, um, all nations were going to be blessed. Mm-hmm. And um, I think as we see in chapter three, that was a big mystery. How is God going to bless all the nations? And um, I don't know if that's different from what he's mentioning here. I tend to think it's probably the same mystery that he's making known to us here that the time has come for God to reveal what he meant mm-hmm. when he told Abraham, mm-hmm. I'm going to bless all yeah. all nations through your yeah. seed. Yeah. Singular, not plural. Right. Yeah. And something that... <coughs> It's amazing to a lot of people who don't know the Bible very well. Uh, and I remember my wife saying when she was a kid growing up, she looked at the Bible as just a bunch of stories. And she said it wasn't until she got to Florida College that she realized all that stuff fits together. It's not a bunch of stories. It's one story. And the whole Bible is one big, wonderful story. So, uh, yeah, good point. Okay, uh, verse 11 says, Also we have obtained an inheritance... I'm going to talk about that for a little bit. Because, yes, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, including being chosen, adopted, redeemed, and being included in God's ultimate family inheritance. But this phrase, obtained an inheritance, translated literally, it means chosen as inheritance or designated as a heritage. And I also ran across this that I want to read that I think puts it in a little different light, but I think really fits the idea of chosen as inheritance or designated as a heritage. So the sons of God not only receive an inheritance, but we actually become the heritage of God. Saints are God's heritage and his private possession. We are set aside to him 
as his allotment or portion. When all is done, what will God get of all that he has created? Will he keep the earth with all its trees and flowers? No. The earth will be burned up. Second Peter 3. Will he hold on to all the dogs and cats and other animals? No, none of these has an eternal spirit. Will he receive all mankind? He'd like to. He'd like to have us all, but most will not respond to his overtures of love. What then will God have as his portion of all that he has made? He will have those who are faithful in Christ. That is all he truly wanted in creating man. He brought us into being to extend his family. He desired to have near to himself those who would voluntarily love and respond to him. Just as we desire children, so God desired those who would love him as a parent. So, we're God's heritage. We're God's possession. We're what God wants. That makes me say, wow. So, I find that very moving. Right. I mean, you think of it in terms of like a contract these days. You know, you lay out, you know, this is what party A brings to the table and what party B brings, and this is what A can expect out of it and what B can expect accept out of it. Um, and you know, here God brings practically everything to the table. We uh-huh. bring nothing. nothing. We get everything, and He gets us. Right. <laughs> um, it's and yeah. He thinks that's that's worth it. Right. And it's worth the the suffering and the heartache. Yeah. Um, but. Still, he still did it. Yeah, still came. It's not something we have; it's something we are. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. We're his heritage. We're his family. We're his sons and daughters. And this is something this verse points out that he predestined, uh, he foreordained, he marked this out. Beforehand, He determined to bring both Jew and Gentile together into, into his family as his heritage before he ever created the world. This was his plan from the beginning. And he acted from purpose. And he worked. Those are all here in, in verse 11. Uh... He actively put his his plan in operation. That word "work" there, you know, you know, works in verse eleven uh, is the Greek word that we get our word "energy" from. You know, God's not passive; He's active, and you know, He works in this. Uh, you know, Philippians two verse thirteen: For it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. But don't think that that relieves us from any responsibility of action on our part because we need to do our part to be in Christ and to be part of that heritage that he predestined before the world began okay any other thoughts or comments on that 
religious world gets really hung up on works, but God was a worker. Christ was a, a good example of good works, and we are to be workers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Okay. And then, uh, when we look at verse 12, it says, To this end, that we who were first to hope in Christ Jesus should be to the praise of his glory. Uh, we were meant to live a life of praise to God. That's why we were created and redeemed. Uh, Okay, then uh, in verse 13, it says, In him also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Uh, So, here Paul links the great spiritual blessings that he's discussed to having heard and believed the gospel. Uh, the gospel of your salvation. And when you think about gospel, it has a lot of wonderful qualities. It's the word of truth. It is good news. That's the literal definition of gospel. And we find the idea of good news and glad tidings brought up you know, several times in the scriptures. Isaiah 52 and verse 7 talks about good tidings. Also Isaiah 40 and verse 9. And then in Luke chapter 2, at the birth of Jesus, Luke chapter 2 verses 9 through 11, uh, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So, the birth of Jesus is declared as good tidings. Uh, Romans 1.16 I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And also in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, wherein ye stand, by which ye also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scripture. So that good news ultimately is the death of Christ and his resurrection. Uh, And it says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Uh, and the idea of sealing carries, you know, several concepts with us. Uh, to be sealed indicates completion. You know, we've got an expression, signed, sealed, and delivered. Something is completed. 
A seal indicates authentication. Uh, in education, you know, a student's transcripts, uh, the seal of the university is placed on that, where they're authenticating that this student took these courses and received these grades and received this degree. Uh, a seal is also uh, establishes ownership. You know, there's seals on titles to property, uh, showing that this ownership is, ofi- is official. Being sealed also indicates security. Uh, you know, there are, you know, the government has seals for products that have are deemed safe for the public use or consumption. And seals also indicate confirmation. You know, companies have their seals saying that, you know, this product meets our quality standards and there's such a thing as the good housekeeping seal of approval that certifies acceptable levels of quality. So, we use all those things in talking about seals and the Holy Spirit is our seal Uh, and so when the Holy Spirit seals us we are marked as belonging to God uh, and that we're it's a verification that God is true and the seal involves absolute faith in the promises of God. So, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit when we put away evil and become uh, the kind of people that the scriptures uh, say we should be. And some think this Holy Spirit is a miraculous thing. But if you look, uh, like in Ephesians 4, 30-32... to 32, says, Paul said, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So, this occurs through the instructions that the Holy Spirit gave to us in inspiring the gospel writers. It's not some miraculous or supernatural indwelling. It came through the word. Yeah, Leanne. I would say that in Acts, it was definitely a miraculous indwelling um, because they knew because of, they were yes. overwhelmed and spoken time. That was a confirmation for them right. that they had truly received Jesus. So there's certainly a level of that to it. But not for us today. Probably not. So, uh, because they needed that because they didn't have the completed work. And we do. So, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, yeah, 13 would point that out. Yeah. So, is this, is this seal equivalent to having your name written in the book of life in Revelation? Is it part of the same? Picture? I think it could be. Uh, I'm not sure it's exactly the same, but I think there may be some relationship there. 
I have a note here that I wrote down while trying to think. So, and it was that the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures through the Holy Spirit are but a down payment mm-hmm. on the entirety of our inheritance in Christ. Mm-hmm. And if we think about all of the things that, you know, ju- just for a moment, looking at the work of the Holy Spirit as delivering the Scriptures to us and letting us have that. Um, just that alone is quite a down payment and when you think about put a down payment on a house or a car mm-hmm. and the sometimes the smallest of that compared to the ultimate value that is coming is kind of kind of a cool thought to try and wrap your head around mm-hmm. yeah now definitely and that's actually where I was headed next in verse 14 so yeah yeah great segue because the spirit is given as a pledge or an earnest of our inheritance and so the idea of uh, earnest money a down payment uh, and the spirit uh, you know is given for that Uh, the holy spirit uh, tells the promises of god and thus becomes the assurance of salvation to the believer until the time that he actually receives all the rewards from god so uh uh, and then we are possession of God we're not our own First uh, Corinthians six nineteen and 20 talks about how you know we're not our own we're bought with a price so we need to glorify God in our body you know we need to, to live that way uh, so we find when it comes to salvation it says praise is due to each of the three beings in the Godhead. God the Father planned the spiritual blessings for all who through faith become part of the elect. The Son of God purchased our salvation with his blood and the Holy Spirit of God guaranteed it through written revelation of conditions and promises. So, all had an active and very important part in that. Okay, any other thoughts or comments on that? We've got like two minutes. Okay. uh, Let's go on, look a little bit in verse 15. It says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith of the Lord Jesus which exists among you all, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Uh, so, uh, Paul mentions, you know, faith. He'd heard of their faith or their loyalty to Christ, and also their love. Uh, and faith and love are oftentimes linked in the scriptures. And this is certainly one of the, uh, you know, Galatians 5, verses 5 and 6. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything or uncircumcision, but faith that worketh <coughs> by love. So, you need both. Uh, without faith it's certainly impossible to please God 
But it's equally impossible to please God without love. Uh, So that would include not only the attitude that we have toward (coughs) our brethren, but but also the expression of his goodwill and acts of kindness. Love is active goodwill that meets the needs of those that are loved. Okay, thank you for your comments, and we'll pick up here on Wednesday and get into chapter 2 as well.